You're not retiring anytime soon, are you, Q? Now pay attention, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And second, always have an escape. Welcome to Spoken Not Stirred, a James Bond podcast. My name is Harrison and I'm here today with Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Good How afternoon. Are this, How are you on this grey and rainy weekend? Which hasn't been yet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, watch the football? Well, uh, uh, yes. Did you yes. enjoy the football? Well, it was, good. it was a good result. Yeah. To put into well, context, if... we're recording this on Sunday the 4th of July. England beat Ukraine 4-0. Last yeah, night. well, it was good. A good result if you're an England supporter. Mm. Not so much for any Ukrainian listeners that we have out there. Yeah, our commiserations. Well, but it was a, it was a great game. It yeah. was it was entertaining. England actually came alive. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, back in back when I was growing up, the England team were really nothing to be that proud of. To the point where James Bond was the only national hero. <laughs> I thought that things are kind of reversed now from our perspective. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you have a different view on that. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Well, Eng- England never failed to disappoint, but hey, maybe this year may be different. Yeah, football's coming home. So we're told. So we're told. So um, we chose our well. The last discussion we had was on Skyfall, and mm. got, a, got a bit of a bit of a thrashing that film, didn't yeah. it? Well, certainly from my perspective, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't very complimentary at all, uh, and I, I still still struggle. I, I reflect on it afterwards and think, is there anything I can really say redeeming about it? And really, there isn't much I can say. <laughs> do you, Do you think we gave it a fair hearing, or? Well, I think we gave it a full hearing, and um, it's up for people listening to see if they agree or disagree. I mean, uh, again, you know, it's certainly true that many of the critics still put it as one of the best Bond films, which mm-hmm. I struggle to accept. You know, I just don't see it. Um, it's an action movie. Indeed, the one point I will say is we've said before how Bond films are influenced by events and circumstances. So we know very much after The Spy Who Loved Me, it was supposed to be for your eyes only. And they decided to make Moonraker because of the Star Wars era and things were very busy. However, that certainly affected them and they decided to make these special effects and turn it into space and all of that. However, they didn't make James Bond into Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. You know, it was still James Bond. However, with Skyfall, they are clearly impacted and influenced by um, the Bond movies. We've said this before. Now, if you're into those movies, albeit good, wonderful, if that's your thing, what they've done, however, is made James Bond into Bond. They haven't just said that's the era. They've actually made him into Bourne. And that, to me, is the difference. I think they've completely changed the the type of film and they've become over-impacted and influenced by what's going on out there. And I think that's the big mistake, from my perspective. Yeah. And I think what's what's interesting, and this is, I'm leading into a discussion that we're going to have today on The World Is Not Enough. Now, I find similarities in the tone, uh, well, maybe not so much the tone, but in the plot and mm. the the genesis of these two films, they're both very centred around Skyfall and What Is Not Enough, very centred around M and MI6. There's the, the, the this idea of the double cross, the, the cat and mouse sort of theme that we, we have from other James Bond films also. Uh, but for every reason that Skyfall falls down, which 
from your perspective will be that it's just not light-hearted it's just that little bit too serious maybe that's, that's the point you were making th- yeah so more it, to me it's a, a solid action movie uh, of which i think it lacks the subtlety i mean even if we go back to the sean connery era there's a still an element of subtlety now of course the sort of traditional bond film as we know start came into existence with goldfinger and we know from Russia with Love as a solid movie in its sense, didn't yet have all the ingredients in place. But nonetheless, there was a sense of, I, I would suggest, a sense of somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek to, to, to an element in that, in that film, which I think Skyfall lacks entirely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the one element where I think there is an attempt to try and do that is where he jumps on the tube train and the guy at the station says, oh, he's quick to get home and wants to get home, or, what, or you know, what's to that effect, which almost is trying to bringing the, the fun, but it, I don't think it really works in that film mm. because the film is so serious and treats itself too seriously, it doesn't work, you know? And I think that's where it's gone, I think, wrong with the Daniel Craig movies. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just far too serious and Bond is not a serious action movie. There's, mm. there's more to it than that. There's a subtlety and a sort of, you know, stomach tongue-in-cheek about themselves, which I think they've lost... And that's, you know, that's very clear in the movie that we're going to talk about, The World's mm. Not Enough, where there's no shortage of action in this film. I think I counted about 10 mm. action scenes, give or take. That mm. to, and those were just the action scenes with Bond himself mm. playing a, a key role. But it's, it's all told in a much more lighthearted, bombastic kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, movie has no shortage of humour. No, but, the top, but, the, but the overall plot, the relationship between Bond, Electra King, Renard's, um, and M, it's a it's a very serious film, really. But it's but th- th- there is there is levity here that is yeah. completely absent from from Skyfall. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting, uh, as you say, because we're not doing these films in order, uh, and we debated whether we should or not, and we decided against it for for good reason. Um, but um, what you notice is this film coming straight after in our in our viewing pattern after. Skyfall is you start saying hold on a minute here you can see where Skyfall's gone and done it's just repeated the plot more or less from this film with yeah. with M and a terrorism at the MI6 building it's almost the same thing here we go again uh, and you uh, you know Even if you look at the action scenes you, know, you have the in, in Skyfall it's the tube train sequence that whole that mm-hmm. whole sequence in the centre of London in this film it's the boat the boat chase but a boat chase you see tennis. yeah and you know I'm critical about the as I said in the Skyfall with the tube train I just think that's too much of a uh, it's over it crosses a line with too much destruction you know yeah. And I have a similar critique of Goldeneye smashing up St Petersburg as well. I find those when you go to those levels of ridiculousness, it loses it for me. Right? It, Bond is always to me, how far can you push the envelope? And this sequence with on the Thames. And let's start with the opening, the opening sequence, the opening which is a long right. sequence. It's one of again another long. It's about fourteen minutes or minutes, minutes of yeah. this one. Which is unusual. We talk about it indeed, but but the, the scene where he's on the, on the Thames, that that and this, this this sort of sequence and chasing, it's quite a serious element. It's not like the gondola chase in Moonraker, which is more humorous in a, in a, in a sense. But it's got a similar sense to me. It's sort of a level of acceptable believability or unbelievability. However you see it, it's sort of like 
knows how to push it. And it's even got, for instance, when he's going along on the boat and the traffic wardens, you know, get splashed, which everyone claps and awards because yeah. traffic wardens get splashed. You know, that's, it's got that sort of right level. And the boat goes through the restaurant uh, yeah. and it takes the table out with it. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It, like the, If we compare this opening sequence to the Skyfall one, which mm. is another very long opening mm. sequence, I think the Skyfall opening sequence is about mm. 18 minutes, but mm. very little comparatively very little happens you've got to remember this yeah. this is split in two yeah yeah section. well this is what's so yeah. interesting about this opening sequence is it starts off in Bilboa right yeah uh, so, so, so it actually starts there with the bank and all of this stuff and a very interesting scene and, and uh, the banking and it, with the money going to collect the money and obviously ends up with a shootout and him escaping jumping out the window oh it's a great opening sequence yeah. that, that part but You've got... it, would, it would have worked okay in the in the Connery era. Mm. That would have matched the kind of tone. Yep. And in fact, the the scene where he jumps out the the window with the briefcase is taken straight from an initial idea of what the opening scene sequence would have been for Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. You have the uh, the screen test from John Gavin jumping out of a, a window with a, with a briefcase full, apparently full of diamonds. Who knows? Mm. And running off. But it just mm. I, I can't imagine this would have really worked on its own. No, no, the original idea was to cut as he's coming coming off on the bridge, actually, and then have a, there was a deleted scene with Renard, the main villain, talking to Cigar Girl. Mm. I, I never, I never realised, and it's only that watching this movie in the last mm. week or so, I never realised that Cigar Girl, the, the, the lady with the cigars in the bank, was the same lady who's on the boat. Really? Oh, I knew, I yeah. knew that. Right, I, knew that. I also <laughs> didn't know. I also didn't know that she was the one that threw the knife in the back of the bank. Yeah, head, yeah. So I, Oh no, I I I I gathered that from from, from you know yeah. so that that was never. A, a, it just goes to show that these, <laughs> that there are these things that you miss, and I've seen this movie probably twenty times. Well, there we are. You see, I I I'm, but I I think the, the interesting thing about this opening sequence is how much is packed into it. It's almost like a film in itself. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got a whole sequence set up, um, which is itself. You know, a, a film. You know, for that fourth film, it could have expanded to an entire film. Uh, and but it's action, action packed. So it starts in Bilbao, and then it then it turns from there. Once he escapes, it goes to London, and he's in the MI6 building. He brings back the money from 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 that one, and of course he drops it off. And you've got, uh, you know, um, Sir what's his name? Sir Robert, King. King. Robert King. Robert King, who's going off to collect his money in this manner. And of course, we, you know, Bond realizes when he takes the whiskey and the ice that there's something on his fingers, and he realizes there's a you know, it's going to explode and rushes. Would, a... would James Bond? And this is a question that's been bothering me for quite some time. I, I I'm a big you know drinker of single malt whiskey. I like uh, I like a good smoky whiskey from 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 time to time. Now. I would mm. never put I would mm. never put ice in a single malt whiskey. <laughs> Apparently, back then James Bond does, but if you look at the scene, you look very carefully, you'll see that Judy Dench, Shazam, is not drinking the whiskey of ice. Mm. Pierce Brosnan is. Yet then we see other stills from other films where he has got ice, an ice bucket next to his whiskey. So mm. it appears to be that Pierce Brosnan's Bond mm. does take his single malt whiskey with ice. Yeah, yeah, might, <laughs> well, might that, be, might be. Might does, that, does that bother you? I mean, it's one of the least contrived. <laughs> Contrivances. <laughs> well, it, it is a bit good because you need that sequence in order but to realise Bond it. shouldn't drink whiskey with ice. Well, well, well fr frankly, frankly, look, it sets the scene up in order for him to try and stop the explosion get taking place, which of course he, he doesn't stop. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the the whole scene in itself. It'd be just been an explosion of which James Bond is in in the scene. But but there is there is one other thing I wanted to mention. This mm. is that there is there is an improvement based on. Do you, do you remember what what whiskey Bond is drinking with them in Goldeneye, for instance? Ah, uh, it's uh, it's yes, it's it's is it. 
Talisker. In this film, it's, ta- it's a Talisker yeah. Ten. Yeah. Uh, but in Goldeneye, it's actually Jack Daniels. It's Jack Daniels. So, there, so the, the movies, the films are moving. With, there, there is an increasing. Jack Daniels is a, is a proper whiskey. It's not single malt, as they say, in the same sense. As but, but interesting, uh, like I think when the novels, the novels are written. If you read, if you've yeah. uh, read the, the Fleming novels, mm-hmm. James Bond doesn't drink single malt. He drinks blended whiskey yeah, or yeah. Hagen Hague. Yeah, and, yeah. And there, there is an increasing <laughs> level of um, sophistication where, by Skyfall, Daniel Craig's Bond is drinking Macallan. You know, so. <laughs> it's not it's not the thing that bothers me most of all in these films. You know, I mean, I, I, the minutiae of such a thing doesn't really. Uh, but, but for me, grab like me. James Bond represents kind of luxury and sophistication, so he should be drinking single malt, and he shouldn't be drinking it with ice. But that's just my. Well, I think that's a bit of a digression. I, I, think, but in, I think though, in 1999, I think James Bond would have had his whiskey with ice. But the, so. point, the point is, let's not let's not lose track of where we are with the film and and so forth. Clearly, the whole sets up the the issue where. The whole thing is a setup, and the money's going to explode, which it does, and kills Sir Robert King. And uh, Bond, therefore, just so happens to have a boat available, uh, which which Q is working on. And just it's apparently, Q's fishing boat. Yeah, so like, what, what kind of what sort of boat has he got there? Uh, all prepared, waiting to jump out, be able to, to crash through the building and escape. It's, it's preposterous in that sense. It is a ridiculous <laughs> setup for it to occur. And to be honest, it, it is it is nonsensical. But again, it's it is exactly as we, we said with our, our criticism of Skyfall. We're well, just saying this is exactly how what Skyfall's gone and done. It's just repeated what's going on here, where you know MI6 buildings under attack M is, the, is is clearly being targeted in this manner but we find that out later in the slightly later in the film but nonetheless it sets it up and then bond obviously just happens to have this boat available to jump in to smash also, through what's, what is cigar girl even doing there like she doesn't need to be there the bomb's gone off there's no need for her to be i guess she's there to assassinate to, well, to kill bond no but... well she 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 apparently no she set it off though did she not no she... no she doesn't she does not set the bomb off the bomb is triggered by i know Sir but she, King's lapel I, I know she says the, the lapel button but effectively she Somehow she's there. She's got her on the on the on her own little boat. She's got her red um, dot of pointing it at the uh, at the MI6 building. It's not clear who she's targeting. Why would she be targeting directly Bond? How would she know even Bond was actually going to be at that particular point? It is a bit of a bizarre and, and scene. Her, like and, and apparently she can be on a boat immediately outside MI6, <laughs> unnoticed by any by any, any of the security services, with a machine gun mounted fixed to the back of her boat. A permanent machine gun mount. Yeah, yeah, it's like, not. It's, look, it's, 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 look, when you get down to it, it is preposterous. But as I said, it, you, it's, it's the level of preposterousness which is acceptable for me. Yeah. Which in, a, in what I see from a Bond film, it's the, it's the fun of a Bond film. Like, exactly. We, we, ex- we blindly accept these implausibilities. Exactly. It's not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. That's what my point. Now is going to design. space is another matter. We'll we're we're discussing. We're first Moonraker in, in due course. And of course, when we get on to talk about Die Another Day, I mean that. Really Really pushes it out. Yeah, with his car and stuff. But the fact is, look, it's an exciting opening sequence. It has a lot going on. You know, clearly, after we set up the scene, the, the assassination, the the Bond chasing after the cigar girl, because that's all her name, That which doesn't have a name other than the cigar girl, because she's the one from the initially in Bilbao, whatever, in that sense, with the yeah. cigars. That's how she gets the cigar girl. And uh, clearly the chase is on, 
and uh, Bond somehow knows how to navigate this boat, even though he's never actually been, you know, he just jumps in it and happens to be available and so forth. But there's some good sequencing there, you know, um, along the Thames, it going under underwater for a moment or two. Under, uh, you know, to I, get... love, I, I always love the bit where he straightens his tie. Yeah, that, that, and I again, think that's a... that speaks the sophistication that's, of, that's, of, that's, of Bond. Exactly. Right? And that's what's some of the good parts of this This. You know, of of Pierce Brosnan, and, and you know, in essence, we'll talk more about Pierce shortly. But I think it's a very good, exciting opening scene. Uh, clearly, it was made in 1999. The Millennium Dome was highly contentious. I mean, now it's the O2 complex, and for music venues at the time, it was an innovation of the Blair government to celebrate the Millennium. Mm-hmm. It was highly contentious at the time. They've put, they put £700 million into the construction of yeah. this, and it ran massively over budget. Yeah. And, uh, As all these things often do. And it is a literal white elephant. Yeah, and, and, it was, and I, I did go there at the time. I, I, did I, actually went, be... I, went, I remember going there in the uh, probably... For early months of 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it. I saw the, the thing, whatever, and it was clearly a, a typical example of a government failure. But of course, once but, it was, but yeah. justified by the fact that it appears in this film. This is the only absolutely. worthy use of that. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it's and it's a great use of it. And it showcases, as I said, today. Because if you think about it, Skyfall, if this sky, you look at Skyfall, they, they have Bond going through central London, the past, mm. the kind of typical mm. monuments mm. of London. This, 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 the Millennium Dome is not a, it's not the definitive monument of London. So it's a kind of secondary monument. So no, in but some it ways a... it's creative that they use that. Yeah, but rather it's... than have, let's say, her flying on a balloon past Big Ben. No, it... but, but the fact is, it was very much, this film was made on the cusp of the millennium. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it was a very iconic at the time. I mean, we've got to remember this is the early days of the new Labour government. It was seen as being. Um, you know, uh, very much the in thing. Mm. I mean, the Blair government, which I remember very well. And, and this was this was during the period which was referred to as Cool Britannia. Cool Britannia. That's you exactly had this it. sort of uh, like almost harkening back to the nineteen sixties. Yeah. And during this time, the Austin Powers movies were very in vogue. And um, the the interesting thing about the boat chase is they had to get special permission from the the government for this, and they appealed to Robin Cook, who was the foreign. Mm. Minister, I think believe the foreign minister at that he point. Was. And he actually allowed it to happen because he's like, you know, this is the least we can do for Bond. Like, this is our national heritage, yeah, yeah. culture. It, it's a very much a product of its time. That's mm. the point about the 1990s, the late 90s. It was, you say, Cool Britannia. It was when Blair was on the up, you know, and it was deemed as a, as a very, you know, it was one of a very large uh, majority. It was unprecedented, in, in, in you know, almost for a Labour government to have won so much in this way. And it was very much reflective of that time. And the Millennium Dome was a perfect reflection. Indeed, my point is, the Millennium Dome, even today, is still quite an iconic looking building mm. in all its ways and therefore it, and it, it looks it looks fantastic in the film it, do, it does and this whole scene set up chasing after this cigar girl but the interesting thing of course is where it, where it ends with her jumping off and, and trying to get hold of this balloon and it's almost like her well, escape hold. plan does beg questions because what, <laughs> what where was, was she going to go yeah, in a balloon like, well exactly whose balloon is it hold on she seems to take the, take the balloon away from is it her balloon is it someone else's balloon She's, no it's like it's like a, uh, a what I imagine is there are a lot of tourists coming yeah, to see yeah. the Millennium Dome and the and you see there's this whole like yeah, group of um, balloon yeah, specialists yeah, yeah. or whatever they're like and you can hear in the background I love that you've got one of these one of these women who's got like a kind of uh, South London type action yeah. maybe she's like what the hell do you think you're doing yeah 
Yeah, yeah, she gets her gun and goes, uh, go, we go, we go. But she gets up immediately. And how, yeah. where, how is Bron, Bond not caught up to her by the time she's taken off? I've like, no, I, I've no she idea. She jumps on the guy rope and... You know, no, no, so the strange thing about it, of course, is he says, you know, stop, you know, I can protect you. And she goes, no one can protect me from him. And she destroy, kills herself. I mean, it's it's a bizarre thing. Well, it's a bizarre thing it, when we kind of, even when you've, if, if you've, the deletes has seen, if anyone's seen that, it, it, he's like, you can tell kind of why she's scared of Renard. He's like, you know, if this doesn't go to plan, someone will die kind of thing. But you know, she still may as well come into MI6 custody and try her chances rather than just kill herself. <laughs> well, that's the point. I said, it's ridic- I mean, What's the ridiculous thing? No one can protect me, so she kills herself. It's like, so like, crazy. Renard, you know, as a villain, like, we'll talk a bit about this. Like, he, he seems like quite a nice guy. He looks, <laughs> looks kind of cute, you know? Like, you, know, you don't really well, think, I think this that's guy the, is that's scary. The problem. <laughs> to, that's the point. That's why I find it quite difficult. It's not as if he's a Hugo Drax, you know, or a, a Strasbourg-type character. It's, you know... When you get to see this guy, Renard, he doesn't strike me as that sort of scary sort of figure in that sense. He doesn't have that sort of figure. But let's park that for the moment yeah. and this issue. But look, it's sets up have, the scene. And then we have Bond Falling. jumping, jumping yeah. off yeah. the balloon as it explodes. He he kind of lands on the Millennium Dome, and there's this nice little drum beat in the music as he's rolling down, brum, 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 yeah. like a kind of. Uh, and again, cat gets caught on on the ropes and hangs himself, and he's injured. You know he's injured. Then it sets yeah. up the opening. And titles. then you have this. You have this. T- he's inside this oil drop, mm. and for me, that that's like a reverse of what happened in the opening of uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. In Spy Who Loved Me, he Bond comes up over the mountain, opens the parachute, and then the parachute is like grabbed. It's a very triumphant way to start mm. a movie. Mm. This is sort of the opposite. Bond mm. is sort of like he's not really achieved what he's trying to do. You know, well, it's a, well and... it's, it seems to be a theme of this because in Die Another Day, he also fails at the opening and gets captured. In yeah. it, it's sort of, and I think it but really just having Bond in this teardrop for me, it kind of conjures up like. Uh, it reminds me of when the how the bond gets grabbed by the two hands in the opening of yeah 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 no I, I get the point the thing is Pierce Brosnan is the unlucky bond as I often see him I feel like his entire time as bond never really reached the heights that I feel it could have done in in so many ways it's almost like the awkward bond the bond which re- never really knew what type of bond he was trying to be or indeed to how they were trying to make him because and I think this this film of all the films that he's in I think his performance does vary in quality mm. and it, the tone of his performance sometimes it's really good other times it's like what is he trying how like his accent is all over the way all, all over the show like well it's, it's true look as i say let's so look i mean we start with the opening it goes the into, opening titles are good. very much of their time they um they work quite well with the the, 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 you know, the imagery of the film the the oil the machinery they've got this almost steampunk type feel to them and a lava lamp kind of mm. feel which lava lamps are very in vogue at that time and and I was, I, was, I was actually looking at looking back mm. to see what mm. other movies were released in this time yeah. period. Mm. 1999 in film, you had movies like The Matrix, mm. Entrapment, which is an interesting film because that plays very heavily on the millennium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they use a, like a Y2K kind of bug mm. in that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it stars Sean Connery. Right. Now, I think they're very what they did very well with this film is they didn't fall into the trap of what a movie like Entrapment does where mm. you build a film entirely around the Millennium Bug mm. and they could have done that in this film and I think it would have become like a very ridiculous, like, you know, yeah. Electric King could have been using the Millennium Bug to kind of achieve some uh, grand master plan to take down the world's banks mm. or whatever mm. it is. No, no. Uh, uh, and then, but you also remember that the Austin Powers movies were in this time. You had Notting Hill um, and the Wild Wild West, which mm. was a, uh, a steampunk Western, which again was... So you had a, a very diverse range of films. So and Brosnan was was also starring in the Thomas Crown Affair, which came out the same year. Mm. So it was also a, bi- a big busy time for Brosnan himself. 
So I don't know if you have any. Do, do you do you remember this? I saw t I didn't get to see this movie when it came out, but I did mm. see two other films in the cinema that year. One was um, Inspector Gadget, mm. and the other was Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. This was when they reinvented, mm. re rebooted mm. the Star Wars franchise mm. for the first time. So I don't know if you remember this yeah, time. Yeah, I do. Period, I do remember. I saw the Phantom Menace as well, and those sort of times. And yeah, it was an exciting time, like mm. this kind of end of an era, start of a new kind of millennium. It was a very yeah, mate, look, the millennium, it, it was like so many things. Always uh, things said. It was said like it was, they was concerned about uh, all the world's computers were going to crash, planes yeah. were going to fall out of the sky. A complete load of rubbish, which is continuals in, even into the modern day stuff. Well, Fear stories of love. I read up that people but, did die as a result of the Y2K bug. Uh, there, was really? a, there was like a hospital where they. Um, They've mis they calculated everyone being like hundreds of years older than they actually were, and they advised all these women to get to have abortions. So a few, well, I'm not, a few I'm, kids were aborted as well, a result of the name, but let's yeah. let's let's return to the film. And the, the titles, issues. the titles. Look, I I, I like now, the title sequence is designed by Dan. Is it two? Who was it? The, the, it, was the probably, da, it was uh, Daniel. Was it um, Climate? Um, it was Daniel Climate. It was Daniel Climate. Uh, and I, I think they are they're quite good titles. I, I think that it, it does go quite well. And of course, the theme tune is bar, is garbage. Garbage, yeah. Uh, you saying you saying it's rubbish or? <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the the artists they they, they decided to pick. I, I think it's an okay uh, track. I, I wouldn't say it's not my favourite. I'd give it sort of six or seven out. Of I 10. think it's better than like I I found it hard to differentiate between which was the better between this and Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, it's thing. very and similar. I think, I think this very is... similar type of film that was Cheryl Crow this is garbage I think they're a very similar type of film I don't think that's the difficulty with it it doesn't stand out it hasn't got the sort of bombastic element to it it's a sort of it's a nice sort of track and it goes sort of well and whatever but it's not my favorite track in that sense but it's a good opener it's it, it sets the scene up quite well the, the next theme would be Dine of the Day by Madonna mm. so I don't know like that does that go too far in terms of the modern well, sort of techno uh, look that's that's had a lot of criticism in all sorts of ways and we you know in, in due course mm. we'll discuss Die Another Day um, that's for another day uh, in, in that sense but look in its own right I think it's, it's a reasonable I think it works point. well it works well it works well and it it's sets, not one of my favorites no, it, but it's, uh, the score on the other hand I think the score as a whole is a, is a phenomenal Yes, and it's really. Uh, I uh, was just showing you earlier yeah. that I bought the yeah. um, deluxe expanded yeah, yeah, yeah. limited edition score, which is on two CDs, runs to nearly two and a half hours of music, and mm. the score uh, in the film and on the CDs, it's like a non-stop adrenaline fest. Mm. But there is some diversity here. Like if you, yeah. we haven't spoken about Tomorrow Never Dies yet, mm. but. Arnold's score in Tomorrow Never Dies is a much more traditional Barry-esque score, whereas mm. Was Not Enough, it's sort of marrying that with some real kind of modern sort of te techno-type elements. I don't know what we yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It is a good action score. And then Dine of the Day, obviously, he then goes he even goes to another level of... Well, I know Arnold was not impressed with what the soundtrack for GoldenEye was, and that was one of his... He, yeah. wanted, but he, he thought it was very well, it, you, let down. I, I think it was. That's my criticism. the two soundtracks, yeah, GoldenEye... Yeah. A very advanced avant-garde soundtrack for that time and mm. still but it just if you this this has has but it's able yeah. to do both very well it's very avant-garde but it's also enjoyable and traditional in parts yeah yeah exactly i think there is that about it and it's it's look it's not one of my favorite ones but it's not it doesn't it doesn't detract from the film in any way mm. which some really bad ones in my view do so yeah i think there's there's 
it sets the scene up. It's a, it's a reasonable o o opening into the, into the film in this way. And of course, we go into the funeral of uh, Sir Robert King, yeah. uh, and that sets the scene up in Scotland. And uh, Bond is injured in a sling, and uh, clearly uh, this is um, you know uh, set, setting us where we're going. Electra King, you know, is is there for the funeral of her father, and. Um, yeah, it's 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 really of course Bond is not being assigned any anything to do because he's not he's not well yeah. and this stuff and and this is why he wishes and uh, so we have again it's it's a similarity again to Skyfall with Bond is to be pass a test you know in this manner. Of course, it's, yeah. it's very again it's very similar. And we'll see later on that Renard knows that his shoulder's injured. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Raoul Silver knows in Skyfall that yeah. he's been yeah. you know he's got a problem with his arm or yeah. And or when whatever. you and when you see it in this way, you think what the heck was Skyfall doing? What will he do? They've made the same. <laughs> And, and again, you've got film. all this. Again, it's so centered around MI6. Yeah. And I know when I watch the, these sequences, I also think a bit, think back a bit to Casino Royale, mm. the 1960s Casino Royale, when mm. you've got the whole like Scotland sequences mm. there. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. Got, you've got the Piper, and then yeah. he, he comes into Q's lab, and the Piper turns and he's got a machine gun in his bagpipes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Look, um, uh, look, there were things I, I, I don't, listen, the thing I don't like about this film yeah. is, is very much. Again, which is my criticism of Skyfall of making M the center of attention to make her that you know an MI6 being the center to me. It, it that is not Bond. I, Bond is about outward, not inward. Not attacking the whole um, edifice of There's security. There's nothing wrong with so, M going going into the field or having a field office, but for M to become. You know, to, to put herself in this situation of danger. Yeah, it's, uh, this is my difficulty. I think the difficulty I have is is Judy Dench. Okay, mm -hmm. oh, and I'll say this with Judy Dench. Much as I like Judy Dench as an actress, and I think she clearly redefined. She is clearly uh, second to um, to uh, Bernard Lee. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a very much diff this is Bond or M has been de redefined by Judy Dench. There's no doubt about it. Her significance in this film is such. She's not just there in the background. It's very, and it's very much since she was played the role, they've made her a very central element to the films. And that's a strength and it's a weakness. It's a weakness because I don't want to see the ins and outs of this character. They should be in the background. It should. It really shouldn't get to know. And this is my problem with these films where they try and, uh, again, going to... It, this is my criticism with, with, with Skyfall and Bond of trying to get into the background of these people. I don't want to get into the background of them. They should remain a mystery. These people are not people we should get to know their ins and outs of their air of mystery is being lost in these films right they've got a great tendency to try and overplay and overgo into the i can't imagine it would be unthinkable for bernard lee to have had this sort of level of exposure and i think ian fleming would not be happy with this sort of like attempt to redefine and go beyond what mm -hmm. he sought to do mm -hmm. so my thing is they got a, a quality actress in in, in judy dent Dench, and they've clearly sought since she, since her role in her entire tenure to try and make her more of a you know a character than I think was right or appropriate to have done, and that to me is the detraction from this. And indeed, you know, in this film, rather like Skyfall, she becomes very much at the heart, and that to me is is one of the weaknesses of this film. Uh -huh. And interestingly, I mean, this is just while we talk about M and Bernard Lee. Uh, we have the Bernard, this, this, this wonderful like nod to Bernard Lee in the Scotland sequences, mm. the Bernard Lee portrait in the background, yeah. which is just a nice, a lovely little Easter egg for. Yeah, that's true. The, the portrait on the, on the, absolutely. They do make him look a lot more regal. I, I always found Bernard Lee, he, he was a bit of an everyman. It kind mm. of he, he didn't have this very pompous 
I, I, and that's why, that's why I kind of liked Bernard Lee. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's more serious. You see, the thing is, there was a sense of gravitas about him. Yeah, but he, but he's not, he's not this pompous um, Sir Bernard Lee or whatever. No, he's, he's a very sort of down to earth character. He is, but he was a no nonsense character. He's not yeah. the sort of person you could mess around with. I think there was that that element in this way. Whereas I think with the Ju- Judy Dench one, there was a sense of you know you could you could go further with her, even though she'd tell you off. It was almost like you could tell me off, but I'm still going to say it and wh- whatever. It, I don't think you would have got away with this in the Bernard Lee era at all. The sort of over it, overconfidence. Because the, the reason why Emma is so involved in this um, in, in the plot of this film is the mm. fact that she has this mm. relationship or friendship with Robert King mm. and mm. it is we'll soon learn that mm. she was responsible for uh, settling a ransom or mm. um, and she ended up using Electra King as bait in order to entice Renard who's uh, mm. the mm. who, we, who we at this point we think is the main villain of the film well, well exactly who is, the so, vi- who is the villain in the film who is the villain that we, we, we come to see because effectively as we, we know and establish Electra King is the villain or, or uh, I think when it comes down to it, we realise, and I think mm. most people would, would agree that the main villain of this film is Electric King, mm. ultimately. Mm. But for all intents and purposes, this is a dual villain film for most for the most part, which which conjures up memories of films like Octopussy and Living Daylights. And I, traditionally, mm. I haven't lo- I haven't I found it hard to distinguish between you know the, the t- when you have two villains mm. on an equal footing, it's hard to sort of pin down well who. You know who put in the better performance? Who was the more important yeah. villain in this film? Ultimately, I think primarily down to the fact that it was ultimately Electra King, like she is the one pulling the strings in this, in in this in this in this film. But but also sec- in a secondary way, I don't I don't feel that Renard's performance is anywhere near psychotic enough. This character should make us feel something. Mm. You know, this guy this guy should be like really intimidating or scary or unhinged. But he's and, not. And he's none of that. He's not. And maybe that's no. because. Electra's pulling the strings the whole time, and he's he's he is basically more of a henchman than a villain. I agree. I think I think he's a poor villain in, in that sense. This is he's either witness. a good henchman yeah. or a poor villain. Yeah, and I, I I'd like to think he's a good henchman as opposed well, to. Well, I I don't know what he is because to be honest, the film tries to suggest that he's the main villain in this one, and it doesn't work. It doesn't I don't, work I don't know at all because Robert Carlyle just looks too nice. He looks like just I think he's too guy. young. I think he's too young. He's the he wrong, looks very youthful. I think, I, yeah, I think yeah. he's miscast. I think it was miscast. I don't think he's got that sense of again gravitas of a villain a villain needs to be frightening needs to be significant needs to be someone you think is a serious player this guy doesn't look that at all it, to me he's just a bit of a, a bit of a laugh i don't see this guy it doesn't even when they get to i the feel he works in, as a henchman maybe as a as a henchman in, in this they just manner. don't I, I just feel like but they could have maybe given him a little bit more of a psychotic edge but because, I, don't, I, don't, I don't yeah but he, i don't think he is this because we're meant to feel like you know cigar girl kills herself rather than, than risk his wrath like and he there's a whole scene where he's in the cave and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit but with davidoff and he mm. gives he gives the the burning hot cold to davidoff yeah. and yeah. Then shoots the uh, yeah. whoever which is which is almost similar to uh from russia with blah yeah. the same same yeah. sort of idea but, know, but, but oh. you know beyond that i just think he's 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 not he's not overly memorable yeah as, <laughs> well, as that's, a villain. My, like, that's my that's my point i think he's a very poor villain but this movie does lack from henchmen so you know we have to see him as a henchman because well, just, i just can't remember any well, other henchmen. well, well, well no, like, davidoff no, is killed off early on no 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 hold on hold on listen the film <laughs> clearly sees him as the main villain like, that's how they do it. I would suggest, however, 
from what we say and what we see, he's not the main. He's a poor villain. There are two other henchmen. They're forgettable players. You have Davidoff and Gabor. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, no. You have Gold, Gold, uh, Ball, uh, Goldie, 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 who plays who, Ball. Who's called Bull or Bullion. Bullion. Mr. Bullion. Yeah, I mean, he's a non-entity. These, these yeah. one, and, and the other one, who's the uh, Electra's, uh, what's his name here? Gabble. Gabble. Non-entities. These are complete non-entities. There's this is one bit where, where Bronze comes in and he just has punched out Gabble and Gabble's yeah. just there lying on the floor yeah. like... Yeah, you know, there's nothing to them. There's nothing to them. So look, the main villain, as I see it, is Electra King. Yeah. Uh, she comes across that way. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she acts all the innocent. And, and until interestingly, it comes to like, Electra King is, to my mind, the only female villain that we've ever had in, in a, and I'm obviously excluding henchmen like uh, Xenia Onatop or Fatima Blush. Or, mm. Now, Rosa Klebb is the only other obvious female villain that we've had. Mm. But she is not the over... I mean, she is the main villain, but she's not the overarching villain, which is Blofeld, of course. So you could argue that this is the only case we've ever had a main female villain in Bond. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it works. Mm. It works. Mm, mm, mm. That's that's. And I, I think Barbara Broccoli, mm. the producer, she said that Bond thinks he's met Tracy from On A Majesty's Secret Service, but really, in, in Electric King, he's met Blofeld. Well, so, <laughs> Which so, so, is a nice little quote because it's like we, the viewer, the way that the way that Electra King is framed for the from throughout the first half of the film, we 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 feel we feel for her. Mm. We feel that she's someone who's who has uh, you know gone through trauma. Uh, which which she has, but ultimately she's a very manipulative character, and it's she's the one who's been putting. The well, and Bond is onto her, of course. Yeah. He accuses her of that. She, she, yeah. she is framed like Tracy yeah, in, yeah. on the Majesty's Secret Service. And Look, I think she's quite a good character in a way, uh, you know, powerful in that sense, and certainly uh, as the one of the two Bond girls, and we'll come to the other one in a while. She she's certainly got character. She's certainly got uh, power to her uh, and presence, and you know, Bond is onto her as being uh, as being partly behind this and she denies it of course and, and all of this but of course he's shown to be completely right in his assessment of her uh, as we know so yeah I think the, the, the film the pace of the film and the intrigue of the film it, it, look it, I think it goes ups and downs throughout this film I don't think it's a, a linear film I don't think it's a film which um I think, consistency. I think there's probably a little bit too much action in this film because I, I counted about 10 action sequences yeah. and that's just with Bond himself there are a couple others probably in there but it means that the bits in between the action are are just they just they just they're just very anticlimactic if that's the the, the term we can use like yeah. they just there just isn't much to them. Yeah. Now there are some re scenes that work really well, and like like I, I, I thought the scene where Bond confronts Elektra towards the end of the mm -hmm. film was yeah a, a very well acted and it's probably the best scene for both those characters well, well that, yeah let's let's uh, let's talk about it. we're going over the film in, in let's, this up. let's well, go back to hmm. where we are where we're up to i guess and that's where you, we've got the whole scene introducing us to renard you've got the hologram kind of thing that comes out of the floor hmm. and you have the scene with desmond llewellyn his final appearance as king yeah yeah that's a really i find it watching it then and watch even watching it now it's extremely creepy it's creepy because it's his farewell film, even though he doesn't know it at the time. Uh, and this issue where we get introduced to R, or he's to, uh, nicknamed R, which is, of course, John Cleese, who is uh, being seemingly being primed to be his replacement. Well, it's not clear because Desmond Llewellyn, I, I don't think, was intending to retire. And they, had, they, and they didn't have a, you know, they didn't have the intention to terminate his, his contract, no, so to speak. No, I mean, no, no. They, 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 you know, they would have had him come back, but... I think there was this almost this idea that he was going to have to retire because 
he was 84 or 85. Well, look, this, well, like, look the, issue, the issue is anyway, to be honest, how they kept him in the character or, or playing the role for so long is a question itself. Should they have retired him earlier and said, thank you very much, Desmond, but really it's he, now he, been, he does the, yeah. the, again, there's the believability of Bond mm. and the idea that this, you know, cantankerous old man should be working still in MI6 in yeah. like a very technical uh, yeah. environment. I it think just, it lost, I think it loses doesn't, a lot. It is unbelievable, but I, I actually really like, I love seeing Desmond Llewellyn in this film. I don't think it's his best performance when it comes to Bond. I think License to Kill was great to see him really in action there. And and even Tomorrow Never Dies, I think he had like the, 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 the Avis rental car. Mm. Uh, I think he probably had a better role there than, than here. But no, I... but this, but this, but this film. Why I say it's creepy though? You've got to remember yeah. it is is because the farewell scene with him. Yeah. Is is he go? He drops down into the floor. Yeah. You know, are you leaving? Yes, he is. He's, this guy dies, gets killed in a car crash. It's what <laughs> makes it so going creepy. into the ground. Right, it's almost like he's going into his, his burial site. This is this but is goodbye. I mean, it's it's, it's creepy. Really, it, it is, is creepy. creepy. And, and I'm sure there are people who who find this just too. Unintentionally you know, too difficult to watch, but I, 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 I have, I, I really like it. I think it's a great way for him to go out as Q because, of course, we don't see him later in the film. At, no. the, at the end of the film, it's it's John Cleese's character R who's yeah. who's doing the kind of typical yeah. Q ends, which which begs the question: Why do they not have? Why was Q not in any other movie? Q would be in that. That's why I say sequence. it's almost like he said goodbye. This yeah. is his farewell. And as I said, it was only while the film was in, I think it was either in post-production he, or after, he, after it was released. He lived, it was, he lived to see the movie. Well, yeah. he lived to the premiere of the movie and then within a couple of weeks. It was killed died. in a car crash. Late 99. Yeah, yeah, it was killed yeah. in a car crash. December 99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, that's why, so the whole thing is very strange. What, what very a way to, to go, though, to go on a high like that to, you know, to, I mean, not that it's a good way to go, but he was, you know, he was still active. He was, mm. he died on his way back from way two or way back from a book signing. And he was at the, you know, he was still mm. very much an active oh. presence in the franchise. Yeah. What's kind of also great to have is on the DVD, the Blu-ray extras, you actually have this interview with Q mm. where he's being interviewed about the film and he's like, the way he's answering the questions, he, the guy knew nothing about technology. Mm. Oh, no, he didn't. He didn't at all. But the issue is, the thing I want to say, again, contrasting this, because John Cleese, as we know, was Q in the next film or whatever, and he only lasted one film after, after that, and then they decided with the reboot to it's uh, Ben Wilshaw, isn't it? Well, with, they, they, uh, with, they, of with, course they didn't. For the first two Craig films, they, they didn't and cast no, no. But then they've recast it in this guy, Ben Wilshaw, a younger version. But to be honest, I think, again, Ian Fleming will be apoplectic because... You know, he's Q is major Boothroyd. You know, yeah. he's a serious major. This guy is a serious, um, you know. But and he yet, wasn't as major a character for Fleming as he is. No, for I know, but the sense Q is, is very much. No, I get that, but he a was. Creation a, of the, of the no, no, franchise. I get the point, but the thing is, he was deemed as someone with a military background, with an understanding, with someone in this, in mm -hmm. this way, a serious character in this way. Now they've turned him into a geek. You know, that's where he is in the new. But it filter. is. But Ben Wishaw as Q is more believable than Desmond Llewellyn yeah. at, at this time. In at, it, this, at, at this point, point. But of course, of course. What do you think about John Cleese's? Because obviously his character is the kind of the fumble, the klutz, the kind of sidekick to Q. <laughs> Uh, and Q does has in, in in earlier films had a sidekick, but they've never had that kind of. It's never no. been someone of the. No, no, no. Well, he's a sidekick he himself. John Cleese is exactly a youngster, is he? He said he's at his stage. Also, <laughs> I, mean, that's, I think that's part of the fun. Like this is this is this is the man I've been grooming to take yeah, over yeah, from yeah. me, and he's like just some sixty-year-old. Well, 
Yeah. You know. Well, if Tony Minnis joke character, I mean, this is the sort of thing they've tried. They've tried to do, and I'm not sure it works. It's, it's fun uh, though. But... So Bond proceeds to Azerbaijan. Azerba- Azerbaijan, and clearly to go and visit the uh, po- the, uh, the pipeline. Pi- pipeline and shadow uh, uh, shadow Electra in this yeah. manner in, in this way, and she's somewhat dismissive of him. And and then they, I've never quite understood this business of them going skiing. <laughs> Suddenly going from 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 this area, there, there, goes, there like, are many contrivances. Uh, yeah, yeah. Story, I mean, I, I just didn't quite get that to contrive this. Well, the whole point of it is that she wanted to draw him out and get him killed by the um i think she wanted to kill him off but but of course he happens to have the um the snow outfit which uh, which could have tested and fallen over with it you know would have been tested you know just happened to be right for him to have there in that sense you know i think that that was a contrived secret we haven't one thing we haven't spoken about is the director which is of course is michael apted and michael apted you know very unusual choice Mm -hmm. to be doing this i mean michael apted is known for the for the television series Seven Up, have you have you seen? I haven't seen that. So. I've watched them. I've watched them since the. I think the first one I watched was Twenty Eight Up. Was the first one. They're up to around sixty something up. And, and, he, oh, and yeah. he did this series for over fifty years. Yeah, actually. yeah, they did. He, he, and of course, Michael Apted uh, at the time of us recording this, he he passed away uh, about six months ago. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, but, yeah. But he was a, a a very experienced and very you know he he was not a typical choice for this. In fact, no. he was he was the third choice for the producers after. They passed on a director called Joe Dante, who was a much mm. more natural choice, perhaps. And they also almost chose Peter Jackson to direct this movie. Mm. And they only decided not to when they they, they liked one of his movies and they were disappointed mm. with another. Mm. But then Apted, he never directed a spy or action film. Mm. He had done a couple thrillers. Mm. And one of those was a movie called Extreme Measures with uh, Gene Hackman and... Uh, and Hugh mm. Grant mm. in an unusual role in a thriller, very against type for Hugh Grant. Mm. And of course, Hugh Grant, mm. you know, known for comedy films, known for yeah, yeah. weddings and a funeral, Notting Hill during this time period. And then he later on would appear, well, he would appear in more serious roles much later in his career. Um, but Apted, the reason why they chose Apted is they wanted to have someone who had strong credentials directing women. Right. And Apted had directed movies that included Gorillas in the Mist, uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, and a movie called Nell, which inspired, which really they mm. wanted a director who could mm-hmm. direct elect, um, Sophie Marceau, mm-hmm. and that's why they went for Michael Apted. Okay, that's that's. Uh, it's a very unusual choice. I don't know what your kind of. Well, again, look. I mean, look. He's the real problem I have with this film is Pierce Brosnan. Uh, and that is because he, he they can't make up his mind. Is he trying to be in the Sean Connery mode or is he meant to, trying to be in the Roger Moore mode of the joke himself? It sort of like flits between the two, you know, mm-hmm. flits between the two. I mean, there was as you, you drew attention earlier to the scene where, you know, I think the most shocking scene of Bond or in the entire film, actually, in, in probably in the franchise, is the way he assassinates Electra King. Mm-hmm. It's cold-blooded killing her yeah. in that way. And it's almost like, you know, um, it, to me, it's quite a shocking scene where he just doesn't fumble, doesn't muck around. You think, you know, she, and she says, you, you know, you, you won't kill me. And he shoots her dead flat. That is the assassination. That's a really serious thing. But then you've got the other jokey parts of him in the other parts of the film where he's just being almost Roger Moore-esque. Yeah, and you, could, the, you got, you got uh, the Holly Warm Flash character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, do- I, mean, that, I mean, that she looks like a cross between something you would have had in the, the like, yeah, she's very much modelled on the character from Thunderball, I feel, in yeah. the clinic. And it's very kind of Roger Moore-esque. Uh, well, the thing is... Christmas can... Jones is a Roger Moore-era oh, Bond we'll get, girl. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get on to... we'll get on to her shortly. Yeah. No, but the thing is, 
what I find with with Pierce Brosnan, I actually feel if they they didn't make up know what they want to do. I, I, I think feel... there's a challenge in the writing of this film yeah. because they 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 spent so much time focusing on how to write the Electra character that when it came to they actually had to bring in another writer to write in Bond's because Bond became much more of a background character. So they had to bring him back in. And I think that a lot of his scenes, especially when he's with Electra, he. He's a second he's a, character. He's he's playing second figure. Phil he is. To he is. She I, is such a strong character. You know, look, I think they. My problem with with what they did with with Pierce Brosnan, I think it, it goes throughout his films, is he never really found his feet. I, I, really, I would have said if I was advising, I would have said, "You want to write more in the Roger Moore style. This guy has got that sort of charisma. He's got much more of that sort of like. He's very good with his you know uh, quips and stuff like that." write the films, go back to more the the Roger Moore era. That, that's, you know, it would have been... I think it would have worked for I, him I've well. I've always felt that Pierce Brosnan's interpretation is a, is a kind of good midpoint between Roger Moore and Connery. Yeah, but I think uh, I think it, I think it really... It, should, it, it flips in these films, and this is the trouble. He never really found his feet as to what he was. I think they should have made... He should have gone for it with... We're going to make the films more in the Roger Moore style to suit him, mm. uh, because it, mm. he could have... I, I can see him... I could see him in, in, in the Roger Moore films. I can see him doing that stuff. I think he would have loved that. I think he would have loved playing that up because I yeah. just think that's... And I think it's very easy to see. Uh, and I, I, I made a comment to you, I think, over the, uh, a few days ago saying, like, is this movie a taste of what Pierce Brosnan would have been like had he appeared in Living Daylights? Yeah. So I feel the tone yeah. and the style of this film are similar in some ways to the Living Daylights. Yeah, but I, but I think even more, I think he could, I could see him doing any of the Roger Moore films. I could see him doing uh, The Spy Love. I could see him doing A View to a Kill. I could see him in that in these characters. He's, mm. you know, he would have played up to them. So I could see him with uh, Max Zorin in these sorts of, in Paris and stuff. I could see him really playing those. I think he would have been perfect yeah. in that type of movie. Yeah. What happens in this film, however... His performance is all over the show. I mean, yeah, that's I, right. I, I, in some scenes, he's great. In other scenes, it's kind of a bit... I'm not really sure quite the way he's trying to play it. You have this this scene, this, this scenes where he's very, very angry and... Yeah, but that's the problem. He it doesn't work. Of, he, he goes through a whole range of emotions. But then that's my... my cri- and that, Bond, Bond should be controlled. Well... Bond should be in control. But then the criticism of that has to lie with Michael Aptiv. You know, the director has to be the one who couldn't make up his mind what he wanted in this he film. did not know how to direct Bond yeah. but he knew how to direct Sophie Marceau yeah yeah and like, this is that they, they made the mistake they actually assumed that old Bond will fit into place well he didn't fit into place I think that's the whole problem with this one He's he doesn't quite fit into place there are some good scenes with him and there were some as I said how can you how does it it work to me the most the fact that he assassinates Electric King that is one of the most shocking but, of but, all the of all the let's hold on of, of all the Bond films yeah Bond killing a woman a woman dead in that manner, I think, is the most shocking scene of all the Bond films. I don't know if there's another scene like that in any of the Bond films, unless you can correct me, right? I can't see a Bond doing that. I can't. I don't see it in any of the Sean Connery ones. Certainly not in the Roger Moore eras. Well, the, the closest Roger Moore came closer to the, the, the arm of Andrew yeah. Anders, right? Never shooting dead. In that manner, a well, woman in that manner. I think right? there's a clear justification for it, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, but for fine. But the only other one I can think of in Never Say Never Again is Flatter My Blush, where she gets blown with the with the pen, you know, exploding. Yeah, but he's, he's but, defending himself. But of course he is. But she's it's, got a gun chain. No, 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 exactly. Yeah. But it's not yeah. the same. But even that, it's a blowing up of well, the only the only the only real case of Bond killing someone in cold blood is is Dent yeah. in Doctor No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's right. And that's right. And this is what I'm saying. But this is a, a woman character, a leading character. It is quite. 
quite a, as I say, a shocking scene, and it's a cold-blooded scene, but it doesn't really jars with 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 I think Pierce Brosnan's portrayal. I just feel like this is not the guy who should be doing this sort of. Co- it fits with Daniel Craig oh, doing that sort of. It yeah. would, you'd see that in, in, in that manner. It doesn't suit. I think Pierce Brosnan, but then this is the problem about the jarring do, nature. Do you think of him. we're lacking for they're not having since been a female villain in a Bond film? It's interesting in that sense, isn't because it? I, I think Electra is a real high point for this movie. I, I never really liked her as a villain until the last week. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't a, you know, no mm. problem with mm. her, but I never found her to be one among the best villains. Mm. But watching this mm. movie again and again, it's just watching the how manipulative she is. Mm. Uh, mm. The villainous nature of her, like when she mm. when she gives the type into M, and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry about Bond. Mm. Not, you know? mm. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so let's shift back because we were talking about Azerbaijan. They go, they go from the ski. See, the ski sequence is this is, I think, Brosnan's. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is Brosnan's only ski mm. ski sequence, mm. and pretty much every Bond in, in every Bond act, maybe with the exception of Connery, has had some kind of ski sequence. Yeah, this doesn't really compared to the ski sequences we've seen Lazenby in On Her Majesty's Secret yeah. Service or um, Spy Who Loved Me Spy Who uh, Loved uh, Me but it seems to harken back to that it, yeah yeah it seems very inspired by I think at one point they, they ski through a glacier but it, it is it is contrived I mean like where like there is apparently a ski resort in Azerbaijan I looked it up but do, do you what do you think of the sequence yeah, I like. I think the it's. Bit, I think I think it's just a bit forgettable, really. It's not. It's not to me. It isn't one of the strong points of the film. It seems to be an unusual contrive. I feel it's lost in this film. Is there is no shortage of action sequences, yeah. and it's not one of the best action sequences. But I don't film. think there's the need for it. I think it's just contrived in order to, to to create this scene where Bond uses his equipment from from who to protect them. But I don't see any other reason for this. Well, they're trying to thing. kill. Electra's trying to kill Bond. And yeah, it's quite a convenient yeah, place yeah. I know, and it's just it just doesn't really work from my view in that sense. So and then, so then. Bond eventually catches up with Valentin Sukovsky. Mm. And of course, Elektra is in that casino. Now, what do you think of Robbie Coltrane and Sukovsky, the character in general? Do you like the character from GoldenEye? Do you think yeah. Do you think he was justified in coming back here? Uh, he adds comic relief. Yeah, he does. He does. Film. He does add comic relief, and uh, and he, I, don't, I don't. He's not the weakest part in this film. No, he's not the strongest no. point either. No, I hasten no, to add. No, uh, he, he's. A, he's. A, I can't quite get my There's fix on Karen him. There's a Karen Bay type, uh, mm. you know, Bond ally, like a very warm. Well, party, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if there's such allies. They're sort of like best of, best of enemies, sort of things yeah, in yeah, this yeah. sense about the in the, in the way that they play it, and. Uh, Look, now, I, apparently, Electric King. Now, I, I never really got this until a week ago, and I was finally, I finally, you know, got why she's putting down a million dollars or whatever mm, it is on the table. Mm. She is paying him for use of his nephew's submarine. Mm. Like her, her nephew is Zukovsky's got a nephew who has a submarine, and Electric King is mm. paying for its use. Mm. But that's how that's how Zukov, that's how Zukovsky ends up in this film. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I just um, it's a little bit of a weak sort of. It is. It is. And of course, she's double crossing Sikovsky and his nephew. Yeah, sure. Of course, she is. I mean, look, she's not. Um, look, he's in it. He's not to me central to this film. Uh, it seems to be bringing him back because well, well let's bring back Robbie Coltrane. Let's let's do that in that sense. And of course, it, there is almost comic relief slightly later on when his warehouse gets smashed up with with the uh, with the helicopters smashing everything yeah. into, and he and they're diving for cover where everything's going. And everywhere. I think it's very clear in that in that segment onwards that he is here for the comic relief primarily. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this you is see like, him just running from these. Well, like, this is my, my point of it is like that, that that the sort exactly for the helicopter, and this is to me where it, it then it sort of veers into the Roger Moore era, and as I say, it's, it goes from serious to comic relief, you know, slapstick. It sort of jars unevenly. Now we haven't spoken about Doctor Christmas. Well, Jones. we haven't quite got there because Bond like, uh, uh, is about to head well, to Kazakhstan. Yeah, absolutely, and this is where he's going to go. And of course, we know he goes by killing. Uh, one of Reynolds uh, uh, and killing him and Davidoff who's been reprieved by by Reynolds then gets killed by Bond <laughs> and Bond just steals his uniform and everything and, 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 and uh, one of the bits I love in this film is he goes up to the plane he's wearing a tux or he's wearing a yeah. uh, you know a dress shirt yeah. and they you know they just seem to think oh this is normal that the guy would chop for this operation in a tux fine and they're like have you brought the brought the have you brought it and he's like what and they're like the grease yeah. <laughs> and he's like feels in the bag he's like oh this bag's quite heavy maybe it's got some money and he's like takes it out and it's just like sneakers yeah. <laughs> but they're not even branded sneakers like nowadays that would be a clear product placement for nike yeah, or adidas yeah. or whatever but it's a, a bit it's a, it's a and bit then you a... see them all on the plane and they all have shaved heads yeah. they all look a bit like renard yeah and yeah and he's that, very much the odd one out yeah that, that, that's true and he's and he's um accent he's russian accent he, he, and he puts on this like yeah. weird russian act which is which, which i actually think is kind of funny and cute and whatever but this whole next segment i don't know if you noticed but there's a russian guy who's showing him around he looks a bit like the guy from the jail in the living daylights mm. like did i you know the guy who goes mm. did i tell you to sit down mm. did i tell you to get up mm. but they they seem to have dubbed the guy it's mm. kind of a funny dubbing as he speaks at a sort of one and a half speed like <laughs> It, this whole segment to me looks a bit like something out of the Living Daylights. Yes, which is what, which is what premised my like. Mm. Oh, you know, could you not imagine Pierce Brosnan in the Living Daylights having well, seen this? Personally, I think Pierce Brosnan would have been better in the Living Daylights than Timothy <laughs> Dalton. But I think it was more suited well, for on him. that point. I think yeah. I probably could agree with yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it would have been a bit better with him in it. But, Christmas uh, Jones, like one yeah. of the weirdest introductions. Like she's just standing there, standing around. They're looking at her. She's looking at them. They're like eyeing her up in a bit of a per- pervy kind of way. You know, look. She is a terrible character. I mean, let's be let's be <laughs> blunt about it. She's the most unconvincing, the most appalling. In fact, I'm trying to compare her to Dr. Holly Goodhead from Moonraker. More believable as someone with you know against of you you can look at I think Holly Goodhead as one of the stronger Bond exactly women. exactly yeah. when you compare Christmas Jones how what a bad contrast Christmas Jones is meant to be someone of that sort of ilk someone who's who's meant to be someone who understands uh, you know reactors in, in all this, this way. What well, a this, this is, character. And this, I think, is the great, the, the biggest sort of error in terms of the writing. Is it's not. I don't think it's down to the actress so much. Well, I mean, her delivery of the lines is not great either. No, I look, She's look, like, are you are you looking for a, are you looking for a glimmer or, or what's her what's her opening line? I I, I don't. Like I mean, the way she a, introduces herself it's already. Just, it well, look, look, for, look. Firstly, she's dressed very badly for it. It doesn't give her any. She's sense dressed of, like Lara Croft. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Lara Croft. That's what she looks like, and I think that all self sets her up against. She does her. look. She does look great though as a Bond girl. Yeah, you, you want to see your Bond girls like you know. You want to see a more layered performance. Look, look. That. I'm sorry to say she is as unappealing as Mary Goodnight in, uh, in... I think she's worse. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, but I'm saying it's all the same ilk. There's something... Unappe- Stacey Sutton is better. Yeah, OK, OK, yeah, but but I'm saying Stacey to Stacey Sutton has more of a character development and arc than Yeah, but, but, but I'm she's saying brought to in, She's brought in late, relatively late in the picture Well, well. great. yeah, she is brought back but in the picture. But to she's... be fair, we have Electra King. So we didn't really need a Bond girl at all in this film. Well, we fair. did. We, well, we well, did. Well, we, I think we. I think the real issue was again your point. If you go back to the villain of Electra King being the main villain, when, when actually they, they, she wasn't. Well, I don't to... think this movie lacked for a Bond girl because even the payoff at the end where Bond gets the girl, it's just 
it's just very much an afterthought and anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got. Well, that goes back to the Roger Moore era as well. I yeah, can say it's exactly yeah. the same as Moonraker in that it sort of way. It's, it's, it's dated. It's dated backwards. But but again, they, again, they can't make it their mind. But look, she is a bad Bond girl in this way. She's unconvincing. She's unappealing. She doesn't, to be honest, uh, add anything to the film. She detracts from the film. It's just such a bad, you know. Now, to you know. be fair though, that she does, she does have a level of expertise now. Mm. If we compare it to Mary Goodnight, Mary Goodnight is it becomes a bit of a klutz. She she gets she 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 knocks this guy out into the mm. um, below zero yeah, pool yeah. of whatever. She then like sets off the um, the Solex. Mm. Whereas Christmas Jones, when they get to the the pipeline, she helps dis- disarm or she knows how to disarm a nuclear bomb and she knows how to operate the nuclear submarine or knows all the tech on there. So there is a there is a payoff, but it's just the way her character speaks, delivers the lines the way she's portrayed that just sort of, you forget about all of that. The name in itself, you know, you just can't take the character seriously. And I love that. I love the way she's like, she's like, don't make any jokes about my name. I've heard them all. And he's like, I don't know any doctor jokes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a quite a funny scene in that sense, but yeah, look, it's a very poor uh, performance. It's a very detracting um The bunker character. scene. Bunker scenes. Yeah, action, this is like a this is almost a climactic yeah, action yeah. scene. But no, I'm not. That doesn't impress me in any way. You're not. Uh, you're not. I mean, I'm talking about the scene as a whole. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I think it's just in the wrong part of the movie. Yeah, it seems too much like a climax. Yes, exactly. It is a climax which should have happened later on, not at that point. It doesn't. It doesn't fit. It's almost. It reminds me actually. That reminds me very much of a view to a kill with the um, the explosion of the caves with. Um, What's her name? The Grace Jones character um, and uh, Mayday. It, yeah. you know, it's got it's got similarities to that in in that sense. And um, you had um, you know, I've been doing some digging on the score, and for me, this this wasn't mentioned actually specifically, but I there's a bit where where Renard goes up in the elevator, and as he goes up, he's like pointing down at this like trigger for the bomb. Mm. It's like it's got this almost Austin Powers type humor to it. And David Arnold appears to be spoofing Austin Powers in two instances. Mm. First time is here. It's got this sort of the bomb, the bomb about, to, and then later on in the uh, the caviar factory sequence. Yeah, but then, about. but then that to be honest, and the whole the score here works really well. But it's like, but it is, it is climactic. But but if he's spoofing an Austin Powers movie, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad to, for a Bond film to be doing that. It's subtle. So, it's subtle. Yeah, but it's subtle. But it's frankly, it's it's actually very poor for a Bond film to be actually even be doing that. I think because it actually you're then self parodying yourself you, in that. But, but the Bond films have always had that. Certainly since Diamonds Are Forever. You have here, Bond is face-to-face with Renard. He has a chance to kill him. And then Renard delivers this really weird line. He's like, you can't kill me, I'm already dead. Like, what's, what, is he a zombie? Like, what, what's going on? And then, and then, Bond, yeah. and then he, he basically says to Bond, like, oh, well, you know, you can't kill me also because, you know, Electra will die. And at this point, obviously, we think that, we think that Renard is the main villain. Mm. So Bond resorts to pistol-whipping him. Yeah, I don't... And he can't feel pain, but yet he falls on the ground and then he comes up, he's got like a big gash in his forehead, which he has for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he might... Like, yeah. He, he, Bond is very angry. He's a very, like, he just doesn't seem to have any composure. And why does he not... He has the chance to do away with Renard. Well, that's, why, that, well, that's the problem with the point. As you say, this should be at the end of the film, not the beginning but, of the but film. Renard, but Robert Carlyle's delivery of the line, it, it just it's just bizarre. Again, the like, you can't kill me, I'm already dead. Like, And throughout the film, we're told that Renard can feel no pain. Mm. And yet, uh, and we'll get to this when we talk about the final fight scene in the submarine, yet Bond is able to somehow 
still have a decent fight with this guy. Yeah, but hold like, on, hold on, like, hold why on. Did they, why didn't they make him have this physicality of a, a stamper, like from no. Tomorrow Never Dies? Or, uh, you know, he could have had, like, they could have given him a lot more physicality where he totally owns Bond in the fight and then Bond just outwits outwits him. Look, he might, he, unfortunately, he, do, he, he doesn't carry off the psychopathic type of character. He doesn't, it doesn't work. I think Robert Carlyle unfortunately he's a bad villain he does kill one of his own guys though in this, yeah in the yeah but, but, but your so point is, about hold on he's but ruthless but your point about well I don't, I, to me frankly if I saw him in the street I would just walk past him he, he doesn't strike me as, scare, as scary in any sense but now, the point now, but hold, on, hold on hold on but the point about pain there's a difference here between feeling pain and being injured right he cannot feel pain doesn't mean to say he won't get injured I mean the very fact yeah. is if he takes coal in his hand the issue about feeling pain and is, is you know it's burning you. If you don't feel pain, it can burn your hand off and you wouldn't even know it. So the fact is, Sticking it doesn't mean it doesn't mean to say it do, yeah, it doesn't mean to say you're invincible. That if you're hitting the head, you're not going to get injured. Of course, you're being injured. You just don't know you're being injured because you can't feel. You so can't they feel should have come up with a creative way to outdo him with his own his own um, well you know, his they own did, handicap. Well, so they could have had him like you know be gradually you know Bond's like got poured oil all over him and he's burning up he doesn't realise or some yeah. re- like or Bond is electrocuted look, look, here's the whole, he doesn't know look like, the, whole, the whole issue of, of Reynolds and whatever I think is a major disappointment in this film bringing it even to uh, and Robert Carlyle to be fair is a very you know, he's a very experienced very good actor like if you I don't know if you saw that his next role was actually in a film called The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio and he plays a character called Daffy who's a very mm. de- very deranged sort of mm. psychotic character and he I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but he plays that role very well, and it's a very, you know really great performance. He's miscast. I think he's miscast in this film. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's the writing in itself. I think it's miscast. I don't, uh-huh. don't think. I don't think he's really got it for for me. And that's the trouble with it. With with, with some of the characters is he here, that he's miscast, or that Electra Sophie Marceau's character is so developed and manipulative that they can't really do much with Renard. Well, I think that the point is you only should only have one villain in a film. You shouldn't have two. And you should really, you should really make your mind up who it is in this manner, um, because it, I, I, you know, despite what you say, uh, I, it's it's abundantly clear to me that the film producers see Reynolds as the main villain. I don't think they see Electra King as the main villain. I think they see her as a side villain or secondary. As Bond says, she's got Stockholm syndrome over, you know, that. that well, that's what the, we're met. That's, well, that's how what we're made to. Yeah, made to fit. But frankly, I, I, I but think it does. You know, still for all intents and purposes, she, you know. The, the movie does set him up to be the villain. Yeah, exactly. He's set. Up, he's the villain, but I mean, but I think he's a bad villain. That she should have been a villain all the way to the end. To be honest, if we would have made him a secondary villain to her, and it would have become obvious that he was, you know, actually playing second fiddle to her, her killing could have been right at the very end of the film, rather than. And that's around, another thing I mean, about the Bond films is they often often the main villain will be killed off before the secondary villain mm, or the henchman. Mm. And but and that is that that and that's been the Bond tradition. Yeah, for but 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 a while I, now. but again, I I I don't feel that's what they did in this film. I think there were some of the scenes if they would have refocused the scenes around making Electra the villain and him the secondary villain, where initially you may have thought that he was the main villain until it becomes clear that she's the villain and set it up for a confrontation between Bond and her. If he's going to kill Electra King, which is a shocking scene. That should be towards let the end of be, the film. Let that be after he's dispatched Renard. Right? Exactly. Because, because Renard no, is because relevant. Renard is a, he. His character is he wants to die. He's suicidal. He wants to take every uh, they take the world down with him essentially. And you know, so he, Bond should outdo Renard. Yeah. And then get yep. captured by by Electra, who he fought all along was being who, who he fought all along was innocent. Yeah. She ties him to the chair. Does that whole sequence. Yep. And then, like you know, he, he comes up with some maybe, maybe some you know a way to kill her that's not necessarily in cold blood. 
Yeah, I, I, you I, know, I, that would have been a much more gratifying way to end the film. Because after he's dispatched her, the movie becomes, unfortunately, anticlimactic because Renard's, you know, he's, he's, it's a suicide mission for Renard anyway. There's no great loss. You know, see, Renard sees himself with a rocket and he's like, oh, you know, whatever. He doesn't seem even that like, you know, I was going to die anyway, so. Well, he doesn't know she's dead anyway. She's dead. But then Bond tells, you know, Electric should die at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's my point. I think this is why it is, in, in my view, a good film, but not a classic film. Uh, and why I, I think there was there were things just good about it and things which are really bad about this film, um, and it's an uneven film in all sorts of, in all sorts of ways. It's watchable, but it to me it doesn't stand up there with the top top films. It's 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 a sort of mid table film in, in my view. Yeah. You know, Pierce Brosnan is 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 good for as Bond in in, in his age. I think he looks he looks because he's you, good you, shape. You and, felt that yeah. you when know, we've spoken in the past, you felt that he aged quite considerably between Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. He does. I think in in Goldeneye he looks quite young. He looks very yeah. young. He yeah. looks very yeah. young. And, um, and it's, that's a bit of an issue with, with him. But he, but he seems to have, in the, between that film and the next one, he seems to get more, looks more like a, a, a more believable and bot. Think, okay, look. We, 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 kind of, we kind of got to mm, the bit where they, mm, you know, the, so M is called out to deal with the situation. When I was watching this movie the first time and the first few times that I saw this movie, I, I really felt like, ah, Bond is messed up. Bond mm. is screwed up. He's, you know, M is coming, has come out because he's not capable, he's not competent to do the job. So I feel that whole that whole bit kind of works, and then and then you and then Bond obviously comes up with this idea to redeem himself by going to disarm the nuclear bomb, and that's why Christmas Jones is here because she's here to help him disarm the bomb. They go in a pipeline mm. now, you know. Pipelines ha- seem to have a, a strong tradition in Bond films. Diamonds are forever, mm. the Living Daylights, mm. pipelines, and the the pig or the rig for the pipe for the pipeline. Mm. And you've got this brilliant like sequence where they're they're riding the bomb. Riding the bomb, and, and then he's realizing that this is all a setup, and he decides to not to de- to defuse the bomb, let it explode, let them think we're dead, and 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 you know this this sets the scene up. But of course, M, this is the thing about the believability or unbelievability that M goes out to Electric King, the head of the security service goes out to Electric King, and has obviously been set up, and she gets captured by Electric King. Uh, all of this thing, Bond, they think he's dead. Electra says, "Now I've got you, and whatever." And she. And I think this whole this whole bit, like when we, we, we when we talk about Bond killing Electra King in cold blood, I'm okay with it from purely from the point that she is just so manipulative, so villainous. What the way she the way she talks to M after Bond has apparently died, she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, but I've got a gift for you," and she's like, "Yeah." It, it's just she's just so twisted that I feel like that alone justifies Bond killing her. The way yeah, he yeah, does. I don't. I'm not disputing the fact that Bond killing her or not. And again, but I feel that this is where the film starts to drag a little bit because mm. it's kind of like you're kind of waiting for the climax. The movie has had so many action scenes up to this point, some of which are climactic. Eventually, Bond shows up at um, Zukovsky's caviar factory, mm. and you've mm. got this very long like action sequence with the helicopters, mm. 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 the car. Mm. Bond's car yeah. is, is destroyed. Yeah, another another destruction. Uh, pointless. And, and what what Michael Apted wanted to do actually was poke fun at the fact that he has this car. He gets to use the the gadget so briefly, but then the car is just destroyed. Mm. It's like in Tomorrow Never Dies, the mm. car got the BMW in that film got some really good use. Mm. In this film, it just gets the briefest of appearances. Yeah, and yeah. That's uh, it. I, again, they got this is they got into this habit of we've got to destroy Bond's car. We've got to do you know they've had it got into this habit now of destroying Bond's car. 
I, I think it doesn't add anything to this film. I think it detracts. It's from another it. element that where they're trying to add some levity and comic relief to the. Some of these scenes could be cut be out fair, and been a better. You've film. got a helicopter with these huge swords, mm. and seeing a car get sawed in half by those things actually makes you realise this is a really serious thing these villains have got. Like this is scary. Like, and uh, I think that that. <laughs> The car that justifies the car being sawed in half because well, you have to believe that these things can cut a human. Well, I, th- in half. I think you can see them doing that anyway, and I don't think that in, in itself makes any 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 tangible difference. Zukovsky yeah. falls in the caviar. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, again, there's sort of this nice kind of comic relief here, but it doesn't really. We fi- we eventually find out that Electra King was paying Zukovsky off in order to get access to his nephew's submarine. Yeah. So fast forward to the end sequences of the film. Turns out the submarine is going to be made into a nuclear... They're going to basically somehow cause a nuclear disaster using the nuclear reactor of the sub- nuclear submarine. They're using that like, the oldest submarine. Mm. The submarine looks like it looks like a hangover from this, the Cold War. Yeah. It's... I, I, I love the Zukovsky line as he comes in. I'm looking for a submarine. It's big and black and the owner... It's just, it's just a very funny one. Electra ties Bond to the chair. She's torturing him. Another reason why we're happy to see her get killed off. She's strangling him in this chair. Well, it's got, it's got yeah, it's, it's it, very sadistic. Yeah, yeah, it's sadistic. She reminds me of that sequence to some extent with um, what's her name from Xenia. Um, uh, no, I was thinking. Fatima Blush. I was thinking uh, Thunderball and uh, what's the Villa Volpe. Volpe. Yeah, I think to some extent a little bit with that with the torture sequence there in in, in that way. Unless, and got, unless you're referring to the one from. You only live twice, where she's got the no the implements. No. Um. Oh, you only live twice. Was it? You, you know, only she's t- got the little knife. Yeah. She's like, this is a sca- surgeon's scalpel. Yes. Yes. I'm yeah. thinking that's right. You're right. And of course, Zukovsky comes to the rescue. She shoots him through. She's like, he's like, I don't, I don't understand what he says. <laughs> give it to me. Yeah. And like, what does he, what does he want her to give to him? The hat or the submarine? But you don't really give a submarine to someone. So what, what was he saying? I, I, I don't get it. I don't get the whole, the whole sequence. It's a bit of a strange... All it does... It Basically, gets... Zukovsky in, in, was in cahoots with her, some kind of business arrangement. He doesn't know, though, she was planning to blow up the whole of Istanbul or whatever. But then you have this great bit. Zukovsky's walking stick is actually a gun. And he, you think he's going to shoot Electra King. And then he apparently, from her perspective, is he's trying to shoot Bond, but misses. She somehow misses the fact that he's got the... Um, the uh, the strap for his arm and mm. he obviously breaks out and mm. then he runs up the tower as he runs up M somehow knows that Bond is is there how mm. she knows I don't know she's like Bond and then he comes back and rescues M and then he goes up and yeah I, I, he, look, faces, he has the final showdown with Electra yeah look, I, I, look the I film's think... all over the place that's the issue what what I think about this and these sequences uh, uh, when I look at it now it could have been a far far better film if they'd a used Electra and made it clear she was the main villain. They shifted her death towards the latter part, the end of the film, moved Renard in, getting kill him off uh, uh, earlier on, made her, the, 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 uh, you know, in that way, I think it would have been a much more powerful movie. Christmas Jones, delete the character, period, unnecessary, unhelpful, distract, detractive from the film. There are, there are know, unless, elements. Unless Christmas Jones is part of that final showdown with Electra. Like, you know, Electra shows up and, you know, and then they're there. And it's kind of, then you have this di- so Diamonds Are Forever type ending. But yeah, my, my, but just, listen, it, it just, just doesn't doesn't quite work. She, it, it, you know, really, it's a fact. And there's one other thing, one other thing I want to draw your attention to, which is also um, flawed. And that's the money. When Bond realises that the money is part of the ransom, you know, we get this issue that she, when, when he's looking at the video of, of, of uh, Electra being ransomed, um, how much money in dollars... He works out the rate of exchange exactly the pounds. The problem is, of course, 
Is he trying seriously trying to tell us the rate of exchange exactly is exactly that. the same at that time, given this is from the well, rate of exchange is well, always they're, changing. They're doing it, they're yeah. doing it based on um, the rate of exchange of that time. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't really have a problem with that because it, the whole point is it's meant they're meant to think that Renard has come back. Yeah, yeah. And that that is the kind of whole manipulation of of Electra King. I feel the final bit where you know the final reason why I think she she is justified to be killed in cold blood is she is about to orchestrate a plot where they're going to kill 8 million people. So that alone, her refusing to tell Renard to stand down justifies her being killed. You know, she is going to kill 8 million people. Yeah. But, but the... to be fair, Bond then, he feels bad about it. He doesn't just kill her and then he's not, he's not cold, like, he doesn't do it in the most cold-hearted way where he then feels, no, he feels remorse. Yeah. He, you know, he cradles her immediately afterwards. He feels that he has, he, he feels something for her. Yeah, I still think it's one of the most shocking and elements that, and that's the, the manipulation of, of Electra oh, yeah. that she's allowed him to feel like he has to kill her. Like the only way that he's going to get past her manipulating him is to put a bullet in her brain. Like that's the only yeah. solution, unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't come easy for Bond. No, no, no. It's... He then swan dives after the nuclear sub, mm. climbs on board, and I actually, I actually like the sub sequence. Uh, I didn't used to. It's yeah, great to see like the sub sort of going like horizontal or vertical or whatever, and that and it's flooding and they're trying to like deal with the situation and there's a fight and it just but the fight scene could have just been so much better i think it's a it's an anticlimax to the film it's a it's a not a great ending to this film it's sort of really um i feel like we've had the best and now we're down to seconds on the, uh, on the david arnold score i found something quite interesting in this in this section i found two things really that no one's no one's spoken about first of all is a big chunk of the music here is very hermanesque mm. like bernard it evokes the kind of bernard herman type scores of the hitchcock time period but the other thing I noticed was there's a whole big chunk of this score which sounds just like Requiem for a Dream soundtrack, the main theme from Requiem for a Dream. And that that score was 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 composed shortly after this film. So I wonder if Clint Mansell was watching this part of the film and that inspired his Requiem for a Dream. Well, no, no one has mentioned it. Well, it, that, I often do think that these things, that composers and soundtracks can inspire other composers to come after them. It's a very famous piece of music. So uh, I just found that to be quite interesting. I think the whole score in this, David Arnold's score is what redeems this film. They outdo Renard. Yeah. And then you have this very typical, and again, you mentioned the Roger Moore era. You have the, they're, they're looking at the infrareds camera they can see that bond is there and lying in bed why they're watching him i don't know it kind of like it, this this harkens back to the endings from the spy who loved me moonraker the view to a kill it's a very roger moore era type yeah. ending and then you have this really tacky bit where 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 brosnan is in his tux and christmas jones are watching the fireworks i imagine these fireworks to be the fireworks of the millennium and he's like i always wanted to have christmas in turkey so obviously we kind of imagine this to be set in the kind of the immediate pre-millennium and John Cleese's character does say, oh, you know, he closes the laptop and he says, oh, I must be in a, a, millennium, a, a bug. millennium bug. I, I like the fact it sort of makes a nod to it, the millennium bug and mm. the millennium kind of components, but it doesn't, they don't define the film. No, they don't. They but, don't. but the ending is just, it's just, well, that's my point about, it's the, just the, a weak, the, a weak way well, to that's, kind that's of, that's my point. Bond gets the guy in the is end. It, but, who is it? Which Bond have we got here? Have we got Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, as I say, is he, in some scenes, he's more like a Sean Connery, even uh, even a George Lazenby sort of sort of killer sort of things. Other scenes, he's a more Roger Moore-esque type of character. And the fact is, look, we know with Roger Moore, even he 
between films, there was a different type of portrayal in some of his earlier films to some of his later portrayals in this way, or indeed, you know, his portraying for your eyes only is very different from certainly from the spy who loved me in some in some sight and some senses in, in this way. But the trouble is, in this film, Pierce Brosnan is all over the place. Mm. He's, he's, he's a different character all over the film. It's not consistent, even in the film, let alone the different films that he's made. Rays. My question to you is, yeah. Harrison, rating of this film. How, what, how many stars would you give it out of five or out of ten? What would you, what would you give it and what's your, your summation? So I'm thinking of the movies that we've come before this that we've spoken about. We started with uh, Octopussy, and then we moved on to From Russia With Love. Than Skyfall, I think this movie is more enjoyable than Skyfall, and not by much, but I think it's more enjoyable. It's more lighthearted. There's a lot of things that don't work about the film, but I I watched this movie four or five times in the last week. I never thought that I'd be able to enjoy this movie as much as I have. So on that basis alone, I, I'd say this has got to be a three out of five, and I'd probably lower Skyfall a little bit to make up for that ranking. Mm. So three out of five as a Bond film. As a film, it's not a six out of ten. Mm. It's probably a four and a half, five out of ten, like kind of. Yeah, that's interesting. It's just too. Uh, I just don't think it's as good a film as it is a Bond film. That's interesting. Uh, why you've defined it in that sense? Yeah, I'd also. Give I feel it three. On, the, on the flip side, Skyfall is a is better as a film. Than yeah, it is well, as I've, a said Bond film. I've said that. I've said that. That's that'll be your opinion. That's my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. If you like, if you like the Bond movies, I think it's a great film. As a Bond movie, I think it's a terrible film. Uh, and this one, yeah, I think it's a good, a good Bond movie in a sense. So I give it three, three stars out of five. Yeah, that's what I would sort of like frame it. However, having said that, is it a sort of Bond film where I look to turn to in an evening when I want to? The answer is probably not. It's mid-table. How do you think it measures up within the Brosnan era? Well, it's difficult. Well, look, we're going to have to look at them all again in this in this sense because it, this was, as I said, prior to us starting this process, it was my favourite one, but I'm not sure it is my favourite one. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that when we've gone through the other ones. And, uh, yeah, as a film, general film, it ain't it ain't brilliant for, for sure. I'd probably lower it as well in that sense. But that's how I'd I'd leave it. It's got one of the worst Bond girls in it. Uh, it's got one of those confused uh, villains. Uh, you know who is the villain? Who's the? Uh, I, remember fi- I remember watching mm, uh, yeah, no. when I first saw this film. I found the plot to be among the most confusing of any. I mean, <laughs> there are movies like Living Daylights and Octopussy that I think are probably a little bit more complicated. But for a, for a film that I saw as a, as a kid growing mm. up, this was a was a little bit too complicated it is complicated it is complicated it doesn't have that smooth flow about it and i think it is ultimately a bit of a flop in that sense of having clarity and smoothness to a film which is why it doesn't make it the a benefit great this movie has though in, in, in looking back is it was followed by die another day which i think is it, 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 unfortunately what you know, whatever we, we can say about it i think is a far worse but i think it's an enjoyable film. it's quite an enjoyable film though That's it, the it difference. is enjoyable it's got it's got more things as well look, there was some I, I, things I, I would argue it. that this film is it, it's perfectly enjoyable the plot very contrived it has high points and low points the acting the performances are all over the place but it is redeemed by a a great performance by sophie marceau i think she Mm. is the high the high point of the film in terms of the acting and david arnold's score i think is is what redeems this film versus a film like goldeneye for instance Mm. Mm. yeah and i don't as i say my, my, my thing that detracts from me is is m and her uh, being the centre of attention, I think just, uh, just please stop doing that. Bond, Bond, mate, stop doing this. Yeah. Go back to making James Bond being sent on a mission, uh, and that's how it should be. I mm-hmm. don't want to keep going into their characters, into the. Their, I don't. I don't want to know. You know that. Yeah. That's the mystery element should remain. 
you know, we, we don't want to see our uh, always being our security services constantly under attack. That to me, sorry, that's not escapism. It's making it too realistic for our world, and and it's not what I want to I want to hear. And really, it's not how it should be. Right, what where we do go we go next? Where do we go next? I I I think we we got to do Timmy Timmy Timothy Dalton. I'm not sure because he's only done two films, and I'm not sure we should go to him yet. Do you know? Connery and Moore, uh, and then and then do a, uh, and do with him because I think they've got yeah, so many. Yeah, I think we we'll do, yeah. we'll do it that way. I so think we we'll go back. Yeah, we started with, with Moore. Yeah, it would be natural to go back to a Moore film. I think we should. What film do you think we should do? Well, I was thinking mm-hmm. either Spy Who Loved Me or Moonraker. Interesting. I was thinking <laughs> definitely not uh, not 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 Mamma, Sorry, not um, View to a Kill. Mm. Or live and let die. I was thinking more man with the golden gun. Mm. I, I think to. I think let's let's go, I think I think we should go to Moonraker, and I'll say why. Because I think oh. it follows on nicely from this film, which is a little bit bombastic and well, they're both they're both far to be fair. I think they both would make a good follow on. Yeah, I th- I think Moonraker is the one we should go for. Let's do let's do Moonraker. Let's do Moonraker. Let's do Moonraker. That seems okay. the right. That seems to be the right way. Yeah, I think Moonraker. It's got to be. Uh, uh, let's go. Let's go back. To, okay, let's do it. Moonraker. Moonraker. It is. Next episode will be Moonraker. Jolly good. This. Uh, this is Harrison. I'm, I'm joined with Daniel, my friend, <laughs> uh, co-host of Spoken Not Stirred, a James Bond podcast. If you'd it like is. to write in, our email address is spokennotstirred at outlook.com. Look forward to your comments. Until Looking next. To, until next time. Until next time, Mr. Bond. Goodbye. Goodbye.